0: My thoughts does not mean working for you don't work for your salvation salvation is a free gift but once you have it you work it out because salvation doesn't start on the outside and work in salvation starts on the inside and works out that's why many times when a person gets saved your life is still not all fixed is it it takes time in fact your mind isn't fixed there's so many things. And this is going to be a nation that's born out of a covenant, a promise of God. The only nation to ever have existed that this is true for. Canada, sorry, it's not based in a covenant. Any other country, not based in a covenant. But Israel had its foundation as a covenant. And God gave them land boundaries, everything within the boundaries, to prepare it so that you can become a light to shine to the world. That was basically their purpose, their calling in a nutshell. But of course, it didn't just go from Abraham being called uh, in the Ur of Chaldees, and also next week, they're shining as a light to the world. This, my friend, was a journey. And in fact, it was a very long journey. And we see that throughout the scriptures as we read the book of Genesis and Exodus and on and on, the, the history of the kings and 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 forward we go into Ezra, Nehemiah, the captivity, and so forth. It's just an ongoing journey. But there's two locations that I want to talk about before we get to the two crossings. The one location is this. It's Egypt. You remember that Israel, Canaan, and in that promised land, there were all a bunch of hidden nations already living there, worshiping false gods. So going to have to go to this place, assess, actually... Uh, Israel ends up in Egypt. Now Egypt is a picture to us of the lost world. Egypt in the Bible, it's actually referring to the world, and not just the world, but the lost world that's in bondage. We know that within, when Jacob had 12 sons, and they sold one of their brothers into slavery, and that was Joseph. And Joseph was taken into slavery into Egypt. And when he was there, he spent a couple years in prison. The Lord's hand was upon him, and ultimately, the Lord led him to be second in command to the nation of of Egypt itself, where he actually had the plan through God's leading and dreams of, of how to provide food for everybody within that famine. Now, after that, all of his brethren came to live with him in Egypt. So it started pretty good. The Pharaoh got along pretty good with the children of Israel. But over time, what took place, they had a new Pharaoh and that Pharaoh didn't know who Joseph was and so he began putting these people, these Israelite people, into bondage. The Bible tells us that they spent 430 years in bondage in Egypt. It was at such a state already for Israel that when they finally... um, At the end of that 430 years, which was prophesied beforehand, the Bible says, and it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. It's interesting with that cry. You think the Israelites were going to be godly religious people at this point you know that they didn't even know who God was at that point even Moses had to be reacquainted with who God really was and God revealed himself to Moses then he said I'm going to send you to go deliver Israel from this bondage and I want you to take them out of Egypt and bring them to the promised land So Egypt is a picture of where you were before you got saved. You didn't know who God was. But you know what you did do? You were sighing and you were crying. say, well, what do you mean? I wasn't crying to God. No, no. It doesn't say in this passage they were crying to God. They were crying by reason of the bondage. See, the world doesn't understand it. They don't know who God is and they don't even know what they need. But all I know is this, that we've got a bunch of people in this world that are crying and they don't even realize what they're doing. Except they're looking at their life and realizing, my life is not fulfilled. And we're not happy. And we're in bondage to sin and alcoholism and drug addiction and pornography and sexual sin and broken homes and broken marriages and you know what you've got children crying you've got wives crying you've got husbands crying you've got everybody crying they don't know why they're crying they don't know who they're crying to but all we know is there's a god in heaven that hears the cry and he hears your cry i'm glad he heard my cry i didn't realize i was crying to god but you know i found out later after i got saved that the cry of my heart is what God heard. But I wasn't crying too, God. I was just crying because of what I was going through. <laughs> and God says, I love you. And I don't want you to live your life like that. I don't want to live your life away from me and away from happiness and joy and peace. I want you to have those things. That's why I created you. <laughs> and not only that, when he looked at me, he says, I not only want you to be happy and have joy and peace in your life, I have got a plan and a purpose for why it is that you're actually on the earth in the first place. Now, that was always very exciting to me after I got saved. Here I thought the Lord saved me from my sin, but you know what? It didn't stop there. The Lord says, I have got a plan for you. (laughs) My whole life, I thought I was just a pile of garbage. I didn't think I would amount to anything. In fact, I had a lot of people that agreed with me on that. But my God didn't think so. He heard the cry of my heart. He sent the gospel into my ears. He softened me through situations. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't know how bad your life has been. And maybe you've got a life. But can I tell you this? All things work together for good. To them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Maybe you don't know this right now, but if you are saved, and if you will submit yourself to the purpose of God, what you're going to understand is that where you were born, who you were born to, what happened the day after you were born, and then for the next 5, 10 years of your life, 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, 30 years, 40 years, all of those things are not a mistake. All of those things, God can use them for His honor and glory if you will choose to love Him, if you will choose to submit. He's going to take all those things that you thought were a curse that you wanted to run from, all that pain in your heart, I don't ever want to think about that ever again. But there's a problem with that. (laughs) If you don't, think about it and you don't deal with it there's a part of your life that god is getting no glory in and he's not okay with that so i don't care what you have gone through i don't care how hard it has been you need to give god glory in that situation and if you don't in everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you that means the things that I've gone through, the mistakes that I've made, whatever it is, I need to somehow find a way to give thanks in it. And if I don't give thanks in it, I am out of the will of God today. Amen? That's quite something. God hears the cry of your heart. He hears the cry of your heart. Egypt was a place that children of Israel lived for 400 years. It was a place that represents the bondage of the lost world in sin. Four hundred thirty years, they were all lost and in bondage, like all people are salvation. Those children of Israel, right there. See, I used to think that maybe God, but they weren't, <laughs> because as soon as God, as soon as Moses started to approach the Pharaoh, they said, "Oh, Moses, you're causing us problems. Get out of here." <laughs> See, they didn't understand who God was nor how God works. Amen. But God was there to save them. And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all of our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And you probably had an anger problem too, didn't you? Because you're a child of wrath. That's that's a person in their lost state. You're on a course that Satan laid out for you, and you're walking along like you had the world until your soul had no peace and the cry went up. Then the Lord sent something to you. He sent a message, He sent a messenger. The Bible says you need to hear the gospel in whom ye trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after that you, you, received, uh, you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That means you got to hear it. There has to be a day where you hear the gospel. The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 5, that Jesus died for you, paid for all of your sins, that he went to the grave for you. And not only that, But he defeated death, and he rose up three days later in victory over the grave. The Bible says if you believe that, you put your trust in that Christ who did that for you, you can be saved. As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But before they left Egypt, God sent some plagues. You guys remember those? A sin. There were ten different ones. Now I like this. And on Wednesday night, we used this verse in my message. See if I can find it here. I don't think I can. I'll get there. Basically, what God was doing is showing them who He was. See, the Egyptians they worship frogs. And so God made all the frogs go into the city and they stank. They worshipped cattle. So God just killed all the cows. Oh, they worshipped the sun. So God just kind of bit out. They worshipped a lot of different things. They had a a pluralistic society of worshipping gods. And God went and showed himself strong over each one of those gods and showing them, this is who I am. The Bible says before you can get saved that there must be repentance toward God and then faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. So, first he was saying, This is who I am. And then he told Moses, What I want you to do is I want you to tell them to take a lamb, take the blood from that lamb, and put it upon the doorposts. See, that was the final plague repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ see they put the blood on the doorpost and the Bible says that day and I'll, I'll read it to you in Exodus twelve thirteen, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt you heard the song I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. Amen. When you receive Christ, you apply the blood to the doorpost of your heart. And because you do that, when the death angel comes, he passes over. You're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that in First Peter uh, chapter 2. I got it right here. Sorry, a little bit out of... Chapter one, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, which means you cannot buy your salvation (laughs) from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, well, this is the way it's always been done. Folks, I grew up in a society and a religion where they would tell you this is the way it's always been done and you're simply supposed to put your trust in the tradition. And guess what? If I would have listened, I would go to hell when I die. We're not redeemed by silver and gold or from the tradition passed down from your fathers. It says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you become saved because the blood has been applied to your heart. You've been cleansed. Now, I'm getting somewhere with this. I'm leading you to the, first, to the first crossing, Egypt. All of us have been in Egypt. If you're in Egypt today, you need the blood applied to your life so you can be saved. Those of you that are saved here today, the blood's already been applied to the doorposts of your heart, and the death angel will pass over you. There's no doubt about that. You are saved, but that's not your end. The Lord's got a purpose for you. The other locality I want you to understand is the promised land. You see, the promised land for Israel was a place promised to Abraham's descendants. A place where they would be used for God's glory. In Isaiah 42 verse 6 it says, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Amen. That was Israel's purpose. The promised land represents for you and I the will of God. The purpose of God for your life. Second Timothy one nine says, "Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began." Egypt is where you started. The promised land is where you want to end. But there's a distance between. There's a distance between. That's what I want to talk about. There's a geographical dis- distance. In fact, it was about 200 miles. And it would have taken them about 11 days to walk it if they would have gone straight there down the way of the Philistines, which was right along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. 11 days! And they could have been there in the Promised Land. But they didn't make it in 11 days. God chose a different route for Israel. Because they were not prepared to face the will of God. See, when you get saved, you're not prepared yet for the will of God. You may think you are. You may want to do the will of God. But can I tell you something? There's a lot of preparation for you to actually get into the will of God for your life as far as your purpose and plan for your life. In Exodus 13, verse 17, it says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Amen. So what he's saying here is, I don't want them not to be ready when they face the battles of the will of God for their life. See, the promised land isn't a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of the will of God. In the promised land, you are going to fight some battles. In fact, when they got to the promised land, they had to fight many battles. Guess what? In heaven, there's no battles. So we're not talking about heaven. We're talking about the promised land, the the place that God has for you to be usable and to do His will on this earth. There's a distance between your salvation and the will of God for your life. Now, God could bring you, you get saved one day, call you to preach the next day, and get you in the pulpit the day after. (laughs) Not likely. (laughs) Because I'll tell you something. As I'm preaching sometimes from up here, and I look at people's faces, if I was not prepared, I'd probably quit every Monday. (laughs) Amen. I probably would. But because I know that God has put me here, and it doesn't really matter what you think, about that, I'm going to be back next Sunday. But it took me a while to get that strong. If I would have jumped into the pulpit right after I got saved, I probably would have quit before I started. You see, there's a will of God for you, but you got to get ready for it. you got to prepare yourself, and that's the crux of my message that I want to get through here. Now, we know that when they got to the promised land, even after God gave them everything that they possibly needed to learn. They still did not go in. You know why? They didn't have the faith. See, there's one thing that we cannot teach you from over the pulpit. And that is you got to have personal faith. You got to believe what God has said. I can, I can rip and snort and preach and I can kick and shout all I want. It's not going to instill faith into your heart. You have to choose to believe. If you don't choose to believe, all the preaching in the world is not going to help you. You understand? So they saw the giants. They saw the walled cities. Oh no, we can't do this. Nope, we're not going in. Caleb stands up. <laughs> what do you mean? We are well able to overcome them. Let's go, boys. But the majority says, nope, we're not going. Now, what's the difference between Caleb and these other men that spied out the land? And I've said this before, but it's, it's worth saying again. The people that didn't believe they said these giants were but grasshoppers in their sight. So what they did is they looked at the battles of life and the problems and they measured them against themselves. See, this is the difference between faith and not faith. If you're a faithless person, you are measuring all the battles against what you can do, and how strong you are, and how, what ability you have. Which will always cause you to back out, and be fearful. But Caleb was different. When he looked at the giants, he saw them, he says, you know what, <laughs> these poor giants, because when I measure them against my God, they are but puny in the sight of my God. And that's why he could say, we are well able to overcome them because he measured the giants to his God, not to himself. That's a difference between a man that believes by faith and a man that doesn't. So they had all the lessons. God gave them everything they needed to learn. But even though they did, they would not decide to believe that God is good and powerful. So they always measured their problems against themselves. I can't do that as a preacher, or we wouldn't have a church. There's not a a week that goes by that I feel worthy to be here. And the only reason I'm here is because of my God. That's it. Or I would have quit a long time ago. Folks, you need to understand your God is greater than your problems. And when you can believe that, that's when you're ready to cross into the will of God for your life. But that's not what happens right after salvation. You're still figuring it out. So there's a geographical difference, 11 days. It actually took them upwards of three years to get there with the lessons of God. When they got there, they failed to enter in and they wandered for another 40 years. See, this is what I'm afraid of. Is that we as believers, we we go through the motions, the mechanics are all in place, but in all reality, we've never entered into the promised land for our lives, and we've been wandering in the wilderness our whole life. And you know what the sad thing is, what I believe a majority of Christians today will die in the wilderness. I'm serious. Now, I'm not trying to scare you or seem weird here, but can I get you to think about something here? A majority of believers will die in the wilderness, never knowing the will of God for their life, never grabbing a hold of it, Never experiencing the blessing of winning the battles of life. Never seeing God move in powerful ways in their lives, in the lives of their children. Always underneath the circumstances, always fearing, always worrying, never quite trusting that God's going to take me through. A majority of Christians will die in the wilderness. That burdens my heart. I'm going to try to preach it out of you. But I'll tell you something, my preaching is not enough. You have got to choose in the bottom of your heart that God is trustworthy, and if he says something in his word, it is true, and you simply need to do it without delay. Without delay. The day after, God said, okay, you don't want to trust me going into the land? then you're going to wander. The day after, they all got up in the morning, they had a different feeling. Oh, you know, today we feel that maybe we should go into the land. At that point, Joshua said, hey, or Moses, and God himself, tell them, don't go into the land now. You know what happened? One day difference... Changed their future. Well, I'm just going to think about this. Don't think too long. You know that delayed obedience is disobedience? Yes, sir. Yeah. Not doing what God's asked you to do. And then next day say, oh, now I'm going to do. God's, oh, now I'm good enough for you. Yesterday I wasn't, now I am. You know what God knew? It had nothing to do with him. It had to do with them. Sure enough, they were willing to go into the the promised land without God. And so they did. They all got packed up and they started going into the promised land. Then they realized, you can't go into the will of God without God. So when God comes to you and says, I want you to go into the will of God, You go when he tells you to go because he is the angel of the Lord that goeth before you. And if he doesn't go before you, don't you ever try to go in the will of God. Now, if God's called you to preach, then you go preach. But he hasn't called you to preach and you kind of like preachers. You say, well, I want to be like a preacher. Don't you be a preacher. You do what God's asked you to do. And don't you wait a day. When God shows you something from his word, you act on it immediately. And when you do that, God will bless you. Amen. So they wandered for 40 years. But there's two crossings. It won't take me long. I just want to share this one with you today. Remember when they left Egypt, God could have taken them slammed, but he didn't. He brought them down. Why was he doing that? He brought them to the shores of the Red Sea. This was their first crossing. Now it looked like it was a place of defeat because as they brought, were brought in there, wandering and God was leading them, all of a sudden he got face to face with this scene. And they all saying, what are we going to do? Head about them, said, hey, let's go get... They couldn't go to the right side because there was huge mountains there. There was huge mountains on that side. It was an impossible situation. The Red Sea crossing. You know what the Red Sea crossing? The blood has been a up- No. You know what God did? Yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said in Exodus 14 13, and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still what's the difference? The blood applied, no party. <laughs> now they were redeemed, death angels passed over, praise God. Well, why weren't they partying? Why weren't they saying, Yay, praise God. <laughs> no singing, no rejoicing. <laughs> they go to the Red Sea, Moses says, stand still. We've got to do something here, we got to, stand still. Fear not, stand still. <laughs> that means, all you got to do is just perceive. Just look. See. See. And Moses takes his rod and God uses it, and the sea begins to open. Now, as they're going through, they're kind of, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> I think it was crazy. You look beside, there's fish swimming and swimming beside you. But I'd keep going that way because I know the Egyptians are over there. I keep going across, I come out the other side, I look back, and I can see the army traveling on the bottom just where I walked. But then the Lord brings the waters back, covers them right up. Guess what happened right there? The first song recorded in Scripture. Exodus chapter 15. They didn't sing when the blood was applied. They didn't sing as they were leaving Egypt. But when the waters covered the army, that's when they sang. See, we want to get into the promised land. We want to be in the will of God. Can I tell you something? That if you are sitting here not knowing what happened to you when you got saved, you're never going to go into the promised land. You may be saved, but you got no song in your heart. Why don't you got a song in your heart? Why is it you're not waking up praising God for what He's done for you? I'll tell you why. Because you're still being dogged by Egypt. Whether it's a reality or whether it's simply in your mind and imagination, that is what's stealing your victory. You don't understand that when Christ bought you on the cross of Calvary and you received Christ as your Savior, He actually totally gave you the victory over the world. But no, no. I can't overcome this sin. I can't be faithful I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because you haven't seen how great God truly is. If you just stand still and see. I think the first crossing that every believer has to go across is this first baptism. In fact, it is a baptism. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. The first baptism was the cloud. They were sitting at the shore of the Red Sea. The armies coming behind them. A cloud that was leading them came back over them. And it created a wall between them and the army of Egypt. See, that was the first baptism because baptism means you get fully over, overwhelmed or placed into. The second one there was when they, the sea was opened up and they went in and they came out. They were baptized unto Moses. Now that's not a water baptism in the church. But the symbolism is the same. What that's symbolizing is this. The Bible tells you in Romans 6 verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, what's it talking about there? Is it talking about water? (laughs) No. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were placed into Jesus Christ. That's baptism. In fact, you were placed into Jesus Christ at his death. Well, why is that important? Because, well, you owe a penalty for the wages of sin is death. So, if you are placed into Jesus at his death, and the Father looks upon Jesus with you inside of him, you know what he says? Debt paid. Debt paid. So, if you've been saved, you were placed into Christ at the death. And so the Father saw you in the death of Christ, which means that that wage that you used to owe, you no longer owe it because Jesus paid it for you because you were in him. Amen? Amen? Now, did you leave him after that? No. Because once you're placed into Christ, you stay in him forever. You were placed in at the death. You were buried with him. Oh, guess what? It didn't stop there. You were also raised with him. The book of Ephesians tells us that you, were, you are seated with him in the heavenlies. Past tense. So that means if you're born again here today, you're already seated with him in the heavenlies. You're already in him when he rose up from the grave. Now folks, when they went in from that one side of the Red Sea to the other side, it pictured that. See, the Lord wants you to know this because He wants you to understand that once you have gone into Him, been buried with Him, and rose with Him, you've got complete victory. And the reason why a lot of believers don't have joy in their life is because they don't give God credit for what He did. There's a lot of people, I grew up in a religion that taught you could lose your salvation. So, in all reality, we would go through the Red Sea, we'd stand on the other side, and we'd always just wait to see if the armies are coming. And we didn't give God credit for closing it up. You see, the first crossing in a believer's life, you have to receive eternal security, you have to know you're saved. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. I always tell people in that passage there's two beliefs. If I believe on the name of the Son of God, I can know I have eternal life and then I can believe on the name of the Son of God. See, this is your salvation belief. This is your eternal security. No, this is your promised land belief. Do you get that? The reason why we're not going into the promised land? We maybe have this belief. Shaky wanted that. But we've been taught by people, oh, you can't really know. Even though the Bible says you can know. Because your salvation has nothing to do with what you did, it has everything to do with what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And when you put your trust in Him, you were placed into His death, you were in Him in His burial, and you rose with Him in His resurrection. Let me ask you this how can you reverse that? In fact, Hebrews chapter 6 tells you it's impossible. It's impossible for you that were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift that if you should fall from grace, it says, for you to be renewed unto repentance. That means he's saying if you could lose your salvation, you will never be saved again. But that's not the way I was taught. When I grew up, it was like, oh, you may have lost your salvation, better get it right. I'm sorry. If I've lost my salvation, I cannot get resaved. Why is that? Because Jesus came and died one time. And once I was in Him, and I was through Him, and I arose with Him, and that was not sufficient, it says, you crucify the Son of God afresh. And bring him to open shame. Which means that if I could lose my salvation, Jesus would have to come back down and get right what he messed up the first time. <laughs> See, it's a, it's a rhetorical question that Paul was presenting in Hebrews chapter 6. He's saying it's impossible. If you could be removed from it, <laughs> you could never, ever repent ever again because Jesus would have to come back first and he would have to be brought to open shame before the whole world that he failed. See, when somebody tells you that you can lose yourself, they're not attacking you. You've never been good enough for it. You didn't deserve to get it. You don't deserve to keep it. Have it because of what he did for you. So when the devil starts attacking salvation, what he's doing is... He wants to bring him to open shame, at least in your mind, you see. So when we're talking about the baptism of the Red Sea, it correlates to the baptism when you're placed into Christ at your salvation. And just as real as when they got to the other side, the waters covered is just as real When you rose with Christ, you can never go back. The waters have covered. You understand that? Now you can have a song. Now you can sing. (laughs) The blood alone doesn't make you sing. The journey out of Egypt doesn't make you sing. But when you realize that the waters have covered the army behind you and they no longer have power over your life, that's when you can sing. That's when you see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? It's it's real. You can see it. Do you get what I'm saying here? My friends, this is the first crossing. If you're not going to cross this one, you'll never get to the promised land. Believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Promised land belief. (laughs) Salvation belief. Egypt belief right over here. Get you out of Egypt. The no has got to be in between. (laughs) No, no. No second belief. You will be circling whether you're saved for the rest of your life. And you will die in the wilderness. Every Christian that does not know they're saved will never truly fulfill the will of God for their life. I guarantee you that. Because you just don't know if you can depend upon Him. But if you know it, that's why they began to sing. Folks... I skipped a lot of stuff here, but I'm going to go right to the end. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and is become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him in habitation, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you tonight, or this morning, tonight already. (laughs) I preach long. (laughs) Let me ask you this morning. Do you have the joy of salvation? Do you have the joy of salvation? I'm not asking if you're saved. Because you could be saved without the joy of salvation. I'm convinced of that. Israel was just as saved when they left that house they lived in their whole life because of the blood, as they were at the end of the trip. But somewhere along the line, they got the joy. And that's only when they saw the waters cover the army. How about you? Do you have the joy of your salvation?